Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Curry. Curry driving with wall back. Goes reverse with a left hand. It was so weak. This is Warriors Roundtable. With the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Harrison Morris fakes, drives on Dylan away, but stops. Pass to Lee, a beautiful pass off a reverse spin, and Lee gets the lay-in. What a play by the rookie in the presence of mind to stop, turn, and look. A great way to start the longest road trip of the year, a win at the Palace. The Steph Curry was spot on right there. They did make it exciting. Uh, Golden State led by 20 in the first minute of the fourth quarter, only to see the Pistons roar back and cut the advantage down to three. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim Roy, and welcome to the Warriors Weekly Roundtable here on KBR 680. We are in New York. Now, a couple of key notes about last night's contest. The Warriors improved to 6-1 and one after a loss. That's a pretty good record, and that bodes well for the future. Steph Curry continues to play well. 22 points and 10 assists. His fourth straight 20-10 and 10 game. Now, no one in the league has done that this year. And the last time a Warriors player accomplished the task was Tim Hardaway back in 1992. Clay Thompson, season-high 27, tied his career high with five threes and had a 19-point third quarter. Uh, David Lee, another double-double. 20 points and 11 rebounds. And that will bring us to tonight's show. As I mentioned, the Warriors are in New York, and the bus will head over the East River tomorrow to the brand-new Barclays Center, where the Warriors will take on the Brooklyn Nets. So tonight, we welcome Brooklyn to the NBA with a look at some great former Warriors who have Brooklyn connections. Now, Brooklyn is a place where basketball evolved into an urban art form with a cast system of stars. People like Connie Hawkins, Billy Cunningham, Fly Williams, Bernard King, World Be Free, Chris Mullen. I could go on and on. All those players and many more honed their craft in Brooklyn, including Warriors coach Mark Jackson, who played his high school ball in Brooklyn. The head coach will join me in a few minutes to talk about the legacy of Brooklyn basketball and his good times there. Plus, right now is the Warriors' season of giving. Carl Landry helped out four Oakland families and helped brighten their holiday season. I'll answer some of your questions on Twitter and email. Fire away at WarriorsVox or send me an email at troy at warriors.com. That's T-R-O-Y-E at warriors.com and WarriorsVox, Warriors V-O-X on Twitter. And down the home stretch, we've got a great treat for you tonight. We've gone to our archives, and we're going to air part of the conversations I had with three former Warriors, all of whom have Brooklyn connections. First up, the Hall of Famer, Chris Mullen. Then I'll talk to one of the more devastating offensive players ever to play the game, and that's Bernard King. And then he soared high in the air, and when not, he killed you with his jump shot and his strength, and I'm talking about World Be Free. A look at the road trip schedule wraps up the show. It's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, our Brooklyn edition. Before we step away, a quick reminder, don't miss the first bobblehead night of the season. It's the Andrew Bogut bobblehead night. Take takes place on Tuesday, December 18th. The first of 10,000 fans in attendance will receive a limited edition bobblehead courtesy of eSurance. Buy your tickets now at warriors.com or call one gsw hoop and press 1. Head coach Mark Jackson as we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, the Brooklyn edition on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Lee in the bounce, cuts off and takes the hand off baseline to the rack, jammed it and was we now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. No sleep till. 
back. Tim Roy for Warriors Radio. We're talking with the head coach, Mark Jackson. And coach, uh, middle of this road trip, we're in, in Brooklyn now and, and getting ready for the uh, Nets tomorrow night. And it's got to be a, a special time for you coming back home, true home, uh, to watch an NBA basketball game, coaching an NBA basketball game. Well, it's going to be very special for me uh, being back home, uh, obviously getting a chance to see my mom, my family, uh, even my son who's playing college basketball. Uh, in New York. Just a great opportunity to spend some time with them and also as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, going to high school there, uh, actually seeing uh, a professional team there would be pretty special. The Barclays Center, give us a little Brooklyn uh, geography. Where is that in location to places you played as a kid? Not far at all. You know, Growing up in Brooklyn, probably uh, 20 minutes from where I grew up and where I went to high school, it's probably you know, 10 minutes from there. So it's, um, it's going to be a, a, a lot of um, familiar faces and uh, great memories for me. What was your park of choice as a kid? Well, I was born in Brooklyn the first seven years of my life, and then I moved to Queens at the age of seven, a uh, park called uh, O'Connell Park, uh, 197th Street and Murdoch Avenue. So those were the days. Who were some of the headliners there? So we had some great basketball players there, guys like... Um, you know, Lloyd Daniels, um, Boo Harvey, who played at St. John's University, Anthony Mason. Um, we had legendary rap artists like Run DMC and LL Cool J and guys like that. So um, that's what we're known for. What's interesting, and I went back to a Sports Illustrated article they had about Brooklyn and, and basketball. How many people, either someone like yourself who played high school there, Chris Mullen, Connie Hawkins, World Be Free, the King Brothers, Fly Williams. It's, a, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about the legends that came out of there, and we won't even name, just because you're born there, you know, it's something in the DNA and Michael Jordan and Carmelo Anthony, but we won't claim those guys. But <laughs> the list is incredible, and, and it's it's um, awfully uh, great when you when you realize what you came from and how those guys paved the way for, for, for guys that are, that are successful these days. What's funny is that you know, it's always said, well, New York's a great basketball town, but really if you look at Manhattan, the Bronx, and the other boroughs, Brooklyn is really the place. Yes, and Kenny Smith would argue that. I'm, I'm actually the one guy that is claimed by both, and rightfully so. Born in Brooklyn, uh, raised in Queens, went back to Brooklyn to high school. So I'm a guy that's you know both argue over. I don't know why, but I think great basketball players in general from both boroughs and, and New York and New York altogether. Because of that reputation, you think that that's where people wanted to go play to kind of push themselves, prove themselves. Absolutely. When you talked about great basketball players and legends, you wanted to get it done in New York. I mean, even even Mr. Sinatra said, if you can't, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I think that that also means basketball and, and how you compete on a daily basis in the parks, in the playgrounds. If you can gut it out and, and be tough and, and 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 grind it out, and you can get it done in New York. Uh, look out world. Yeah, you had to be tough. Were, were there a couple of crazy moments in those parks? Oh, some some very crazy moments. I mean, just, just whether it be just all-out brawls or, or bad calls. Uh, it was, <laughs> Which it, led to the old. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it, was, it was great moments, uh, family, fellowship, friend. And then it's, it, it, it develops you not just into basketball players, but, but also into quality people. It's a toughness and the edge that comes with surviving. What's it going to be like for you uh, tomorrow night when you get out there and you walk onto that floor or even just on the bus pull into that building? You know, it would be special 
but I'd be lying if I told you it'd be any different because I have the mentality that I'm extremely blessed. And and I, I, as a kid, I dreamt about being in this position, whether it be a player, an announcer, or as a coach. So I, I, I am humbled every time I step on the floor, not just in Brooklyn, but even in Detroit. Let's talk about your team for just a, a minute or so. Uh, where does this road trip stand in terms of you finding out as we hit the quarter pole, what kind of team you have? To me, it's very important. I know what kind of team I have, but it's important for us to uh, take care of business that lies in front of us. This is a, a huge trip for us in general. We're playing against some good teams, but it's a great opportunity for us to finish this trip and uh, come out of it alive. Uh, it's important for us to handle our business. Well, you know broadcasters, we like to look ahead and project and do all that stuff, but do you do that? Do you have a, a number in mind that you'd be happy with? You know, there was times as a player we certainly would chalk it down and say, what would we expect coming out of this trip? As a coach, um, I look game to game, and my mentality is let's take care of business tonight and then take care of business Friday and then move forward. I think it's important for us not to look ahead and to certainly put the ones in the bank that lie in front of us. You almost have to do that in order to translate that to the players. Well, absolutely. Oh, I could lie, <laughs> which some coaches do. But, no, I think the mentality for us um, certainly if you're an elite team and you say, okay, we expect this. For us, every night is a grind, and it's important for us to have that mentality. You guys seem to be doing a very good job on, on screen rolls of keeping the team on one side of the floor. Why is that important? Well, I think the best teams um, certainly have the ability when they are at their best to change sides of the court, move the basketball, get man movement, and have you know home run hitters on the opposite side that make you pay the price. So the more we dictate where a team hurts us, uh, puts us in a better position to be you know, a, a very good defensive team. Offensively, uh, where is your club at right now? Well, we're feeling good. I think I, I'd much uh, prefer us to even pick up our pace even more. I'd like to see us running and pushing the basketball, uh, but offensively we're fine. We're making shots, um, but I want to I wanna push the basketball, and that starts on the defensive end, getting stops, and then off to the races. Well, we're here in New York, and, of course, that means, as you said, you get to see Mom. Uh, favorite dish that Mom used to cook or does cook? Mom, uh, I'll tell you the truth. Again, I was a cereal killer as a kid. For, for 20 years, I would eat cereal my entire life. So uh, Mom would cook, but I was a guy that was always in the park, always on the run, so I'd get my buttered toast and my cereal. Uh, Frosted Flakes, Cheerios? I'm a cornflake guy, <laughs> just basic. <laughs> Coach, as always, thanks for the chat. Thank you. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Hi, Tim Roy. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues here on KBR 680, the sports leader. Don't forget Warriors and Nets tomorrow night. Part of the Warriors' season of giving, 15 plays for the holidays, Carl Landry recently adopted four families and surprised them with household items and gifts, hoping to make their holiday season a little happier. There were autographs to be signed and photos to be taken, and Pepsi also donated beverages for each of the four families. It's all part of the Warriors' season of giving, hoping to make the Bay Area a happier place this holiday season.
I adopted four families for the holidays to, you know, just help out, give back a little bit. I mean, a lot of families nowadays, I know we're kind of battling a recession, you know, just need a little help. You know, some, some parents and families have lost jobs and can't afford, you know, to give their kids uh, what they really want for the holidays or not even want but need. So uh, that's what I'm here for. And, uh, you know, that's something that I always wanted to do. And I'm glad uh, that I have the opportunity to do it along with the Warriors. Growing up, uh, I was always pretty much lucky to have, you know, gifts and things like that for Christmas. It was always like, you know, saying I want this or uh, I want that. But, you know, a lot of families can, uh, can't afford things that kids want. You know, a lot of times families just need things, you know, need toilet tissue, need water, need the basic supplies in life to just live, you know. And uh, I felt like, you know, this was a year that I uh, had the opportunity to, to, to come in and work with the Warriors and just, you know, help some, help some families out with the things, not, the, not that they want, but actually need. Especially with my daughter, because she wants to play basketball. She wants to go to the WNBA. She plays point guard at her school. So, I mean, it just, it, you know, I can't even put it up on no level. I mean, it's just, it's a good thing, you know, it's a blessing. I feel kind of good now and better because I finally realized that, like, when nobody says, like, they can never bring you down on what you want to do. In a way, I, I feel like you guys are family because I'm away, you know, I'm thousands of, thousands of miles from, away from my family during, you know, the holidays, during these times. So I really appreciate you guys letting me come into your, your house and uh, hey, welcoming me with open arms and letting me be a part of your holiday. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the family. Yeah, I'm family. Yeah. We gotta support our people. We family in here, all right? So, yeah. Shoots over him. It's up and good. Harrison Barnes can feel it right now. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Well, it's that time again. Time now to answer your questions on the show. Two ways to do it on Twitter at WarriorsVox. It's Warriors V-O-X. Or you can also email me at the T-Roy, T-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. A couple of questions. One from A.B. Christopher wants to know who's the most vocal leader in the locker room this season. Uh, I don't know if the Warriors have a a rah-rah guy per se, but I will say this about being a leader. Steph Curry has really taken a huge step forward. I'm going to give you two examples. One, with a minute and four to go in Phoenix, and the Warriors teetering, their lead was in, in jeopardy. Steph Curry reminded everybody in a timeout, this is the type of game that we've lost in years gone by. We have to find a way to win this game. They came out of the timeout, got a 17-footer for Carl Landry, who nailed it, and the Warriors went on to win that season opener in Phoenix. And then go back to the game in Dallas, where he rolls the ankle 
And instead of like saying, oh, I've got to go to the sideline, he stays on the floor and says, we are not going to lose this game. In fact, there was a stretch where Steph either scored or assisted on 22 of the Warriors' 26 points coming down the stretch and into overtime as the Warriors got a huge win in Dallas. I think Steph Curry is making moves to become the leader of this Golden State Warriors team. And it's great to see because I think, especially as the point guard, as one of the team's better players, he has to be someone who is going to have some leadership. A quick question from Team Green 22. How realistic of a chance does Carl Landry have at sixth man of the year? I feel like Jamal Crawford is his real competition. Well, you know what? I agree with you. I think Crawford's going to be real competition because he can score. He can come off the bench and fire with the best of them. But if Carl Landry, if we're talking about these type of numbers for Carl Landry and we're past the all-star break, I think he's got a real good shot because not only will he be scoring if he continues at this pace, but scoring at a very efficient rate, he's in the top ten in field goal percentage, and also rebounding. He's just been a, a real blessing for Golden State and a guy that uh, the Warriors would not be over 500 would it not be for Carl Landry uh, coming off the bench. Sarze Jr. wants to know, when will Bogut come back? Well, that's the $60 million question around the Golden State Warriors right now. He's trying to get himself well. He's rehabbing diligently back at the Warriors' uh, practice facility. But at the time of the announcement that he was going to be sidelined indefinitely, here's what Andrew Bogut had to say. There was never any um, any pressure from within the organization. The pressure's on me. For me myself, you know, I got I got traded here in a, in a big trade. And I want to want to be out there and help my team and and play basketball games. That's what I'm paid to do. So the pressure never came from anybody. I mean, um, for reports to come out and say that Bob or Coach or you know the owners have said you know getting back on the court, it's, it's been the complete opposite. The pressure that's been put on me has been strictly been put on me by myself. You know, I'm an athlete. I'm competitive, and I want to be out there and I want to play. Um, did I probably rush back a little bit? Maybe, but I needed to test it out and see, you know, how, how it responded to being, you know, in an NBA environment. And obviously, it didn't respond well. So, as far as timelines go, we're not going to set any more timelines just because, you know, we tend to set timelines and then you guys come into that timeline and, and start asking questions, which is your job. And, you, you know, you have every right to do that. And I think right now, it's just, you know, once it's ready, it's ready. Once the doctors and the, and the trainers here all feel that it's strong and it can sustain, you know, the level of play in an NBA game, that's when I'll be back on the floor. Well, Flashface wants to know, would you trade for Pau Gasol if he's put on the trading block? And if so, which Warrior players would you be willing to deal for him? Well, first of all, in trades, anybody in the NBA can be traded. If uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Wilt Chamberlain can be traded, then anybody uh, can be dealt. So when you're talking about a player like Pau Gasol, if you're Bob Myers, and I'm sure he's doing this, is that you have to listen. If someone calls and talks about a very good player, when Pau's playing well... He's a top 15 player in the NBA. There's no question about that. He hasn't been to that level in a while. But when he's playing well and healthy, he's an outstanding player. So when someone calls about him, you have to listen. But I'm not sure what the Warriors would have to give up to get Pau. And would it be too much at this point to make that kind of a deal? Plus, you also have to ask about Pau Gasol and his age at this point with the young nucleus uh, on the Warriors. Would that be a good fit. So I'm not sure if this is the right time uh, to make that kind of a deal. And finally tonight, the quitter with a Q says, why play Draymond Green at the expense of Festus Azili or Harrison Barnes? Uh, Draymond is providing nothing on O and is undersized on D. Well, first of all, I don't know if playing Draymond Green is at the expense of the other two rookies, but let's hear what Mark Jackson has to say about the rookie from Michigan State. 
It wouldn't be surprising to me at all if he's a coach one day in this league. No matter what we're talking about, defensive, offensively, our principles, he knows them to a T. When he makes a mistake, it's almost like that straight-A student that got a question wrong and it's silence in the room. And, and overall, Draymond Green's a very good defensive player, and he allows a certain versatility that other players can't bring to the table. And by that, I mean Mark Jackson can bring him off the bench, and he can guard a two, or he can guard a three, or guard a four. He's even guarded point guards. He guarded Andre Miller when they played uh, against Denver. So I think overall, Draymond Green provides some versatility, and there's no question he's a defensive uh, stopper. He's a guy that's going to be a good defensive player, I think, in this league for a long, long time. Though, as many people have pointed out, he really doesn't have a designated position. But he makes plays defensively, so it's hard to keep him off the floor. Well, thank you so much for all of your questions. I try to get to as many as I can. I really appreciate the uh, support and feedback we're getting on Twitter. You can also email me at troy, T-R-O-Y-E, at warriors.com, or on Twitter at warriorsvox, warriors, V-O-X. Don't forget, individual tickets are on sale right now. Warriors single game tickets for the second half of the season are on sale right now. Secure your seats at warriors.com or call one gsw hoop and press 1. Up and good, David Lee getting to wherever he wants to go on the floor and knocking everything down. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Hi, Tim Roy. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. And Warrior fans, you can get tickets in the Lucky Pepsi Zone at Oracle Arena simply by shopping at your local Lucky store. Buy 324 packs of any Pepsi product in a single transaction and receive a coupon for two free Warriors tickets. It's a limited time offer, though, and it's valid at participating Lucky locations. For more information, including store locations, go to warriors.com slash Lucky Pepsi Zone. Well, you're in for a treat now because this is the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, the Brooklyn edition. We're going to hear from three former Warriors, all of whom have Brooklyn connections. Where better to start than 2011 Hall of Famer Chris Mullen and his induction speech in Springfield, where he talked about growing up in Brooklyn, learning how to play basketball, and eventually finding his second home on the West Coast. Mullen open, right baseline, good again. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Mullen. Thank you very much. Coach, it's hard to believe we made it this far. I gotta say, without you in my life, I would not be standing here tonight. You taught me so much how to win with humility and how to lose with dignity and how to respect the game. But the thing I cherish most is our relationship over the last 36 years. Thank you. <clears throat> Looking out, I realize I'm a long way from Flappish Avenue. (laughs) But Brooklyn's definitely in the house tonight. (laughs) I'm so lucky to have my family here with me tonight, my siblings, my oldest sister Kathy, my three brothers, Roddy, John, and Terrence. And although our parents are no longer here, I feel their presence in my life every single day. 
and I dedicate this honor to them. <clears throat> also here tonight are two of my biggest fans, the nuns. <laughs> My Aunt Catherine, who turns 90 tomorrow, and Sister Mercedes, they've been, watching my, they've been watching my game since I was eight years old. I thank you for your prayers and your divine intervention. And if you're at my age and you still got two 90-year-old nuns praying for you, you know life is very good. Growing up in New York City gave me some tremendous advantages as, as a basketball player. I had two wonderful coaches at a young age, Jack Alisi and Lupa Cola, here tonight. And they taught me the fundamentals of the game and gave me the confidence to go anywhere in the city and play against anybody at any time. When it was time to, pick, when it was time to choose a college, it was an easy choice. I packed a bag and went 12 miles down the Belt Parkway and went, down, and went to St. John's University. I chose the best coach in the best city, and I played in the world's most famous arena. And I got to play with some of New York City's greatest players of all time, Mark Jackson, David Russell, and Walter Berry are both here tonight, all three tonight. I thank you for being here, guys. The Big East Conference provided us with incredible competition and great rivalries. It was a great time to be a college basketball player. And with great teammates come great success, and we held our own, thanks to Dave Gavitt and St. John's University. In 1985, I was off to the NBA. And when I was drafted by the Golden State Warriors, by the wonderful Al Adels, one of my buddies said to me, where the heck is that place? And I didn't know myself. All, all I knew was a long way from New York. And my new pro-life and being 3,000 miles away from home took a little bit of adjustment for me. But by the grace of God, I started living my life one day at a time, and it strengthened me personally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. I truly want to thank the Golden State Warriors organization and the fans for supporting me during a very difficult, difficult time in my life. I am forever grateful to the Bay Area, and today, I call it home. Mitch Richmond and Tim, and Tim Hardaway run TMC. <laughs> we had a lot of fun running and gunning, and I got to thank Rod Higgins for being such a great role model. And, and Don Nelson, Nelly. Who else would encourage Manute Bowl to shoot three-point shots? <laughs> Those are my favorite pro years. I had three great years in Indiana. I got to play for my idol, Larry Bird, and under the brilliant leadership of Donnie Walsh. I was honored and so proud to play on two Olympic teams, 1984 for Bobby Knight and in 1992 for the great Chuck Daly on the legendary Dream Team. Basketball was never a job for me. I loved to play, I loved to compete, and be part of a team. 
I made a career out of my passion. I'm so blessed. To all my teammates, too many to mention, you made the game fun. And to all my opponents, you made it worth coming to the gym. To my wife Liz and our four children, Sean, Chris, Liam, and Kira, you're my dream team. I'd like to sincerely thank Jerry Colangelo and the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame for this incredible honor. I'd like to thank David Stern and the NBA for allowing me to play in the greatest league in the world. And to my fellow inductees, congratulations and enjoy the evening. Let's go, Coach. Well, Chris Mullen certainly beloved not only in Brooklyn, but also in the Bay Area. Now on to Bernard King, who was born in Brooklyn, played his high school ball at Fort Hamilton, later had a two-year stint with the Golden State Warriors. We'll get into that in a moment. But we start off in a conversation I had with him a couple of years back about growing up in Brooklyn and being a New York Knicks fan, but never got to Madison Square Garden until he was in high school. Here's King Fortunately, as a young person growing up in New York, I didn't have the funds to go watch any of the games, so I, I enjoyed it from afar via television. But I remember my senior year of high school, uh, the All-City team, which represented the best players in, in, in New York City, uh, when I was fortunate enough to be first-team All-City, we were honored at halftime of uh, a New York Knicks game, and I never forget it. Uh, wow. Because, uh, it was a mix against the Boston Celtics. And I'm way up there in the rafters, it no matter where I was seated at, but uh, that was a very fond memory. And to, to join New York with Dave DeBush as a GM, and he was the gentleman that brought me in, that was very special, too, because he was he was the guy that I really enjoyed because of his rebounding prowess. Oh, yeah, what a, what a battler he was. Who who else was on that All-City team? On well, that All-City team uh, was George Johnson. Uh-huh. Uh, George Johnson went on to play he played at the time in high school uh, for you know, Utrecht High School. He went on to play Tim for St. John's University. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he went on to he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, and and, and George and, and myself were considered the top two balls in, in the city. And then uh, the other player he had on that ball city team was Butch Lee. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, you remember Butch Lee? Of course, he played for Canarsie High School, um, and he went on to star at uh, Marquette, and then you know obviously Indiana, and then he wound up in the NBA. At any rate, uh, no, I'm sorry, he played for Indiana. He didn't play for Marquette. He uh, played for Indiana, then he went on to play in the NBA. And also, you have you had a player in that team that you never heard of, uh, but this guy was phenomenal. He was one of the greatest guys I had ever seen at the time. His name was Alex Elford, and he played for Taft High School. Right. He averaged 32 points a game. His team went 33 in all, and I just knew that he was going to have a phenomenal collegiate and, and pro career, and unfortunately, uh, some things away from basketball happened, and it didn't pan out that way from him. Uh, but he was one of the greatest guys I've ever seen. Wow. But that had to that had to be a, a thrill to be able to walk on that floor for the first time and, and uh, you know, and, and, and just kind of realize the dream, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, was, in awe. I was in awe. Yeah. <laughs> to be standing on the floor of Madison Square Garden, knowing that Dave the Butcher, Walt Frazier, Earl Monroe, Willis Reed, Dick Barnett, and on the other side, Dave Cowan, John Havlicek, and... All those great players are in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty phenomenal for for a 17-year-old, and that's, that's something I'll, I'll, I'll never, ever forget for the rest of my life. 
obviously I had a chance to, to, to meet all of those individuals I, I spoke of. And heck, I entered the league. John Halbachek was still playing. I had to guard him and chase him around the court. <laughs> and, and, I, and I asked him once, because he used to tire everyone out. And I asked him many years later, you know, how did you develop such stamina? Because I, you know, I ride a bike, I run the treadmill, I run the floor, and I do everything for stamina. Uh, but yours was exceeded everyone. So what, what, what did you do? And, yeah, I think he half jokingly said to me, well, I had one lung that was bigger than the other. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I like that. T- tell me, uh, you, you got to the Warriors after uh, coming in the league with New Jersey and a quick stop in, in Utah with 19 games there. Uh, first reaction, getting to the Bay Area, a lot of things going on with the Warriors at the time. You guys had a talented uh, scoring roster, and you had got a chance to play for Al Adels. What was that like? Well, it was a, a great time. It was a team that was in the Warriors, that is, was a team that was in transition at the time. Uh, I, I came in as a new face, uh, World Be Free as well, uh, the great scorer in World. And uh, you had Joe Barry Carroll and Ricky Brown that came over after the trade of Robert Parrish uh, to the uh, Boston Celtics. So we were certainly a team in transition. Uh, it had some uh, established players in terms of uh, uh, veteran players and Sonny Parker as well as Purvis Short and and Larry Smith was a new addition as a, as a rookie. And so we were really excited about the prospects of the season um, in, in 80 and 81. And Al Otto's certainly a legendary coach, um, won a title as a coach, um, and uh, was a great coach to play for. Uh, he's one of my all-time favorites. You know, we were talking with Larry Smith, and I asked him about his rookie year. I said, you know, they were talking about how you need to work on your jump shot. And, and I'll paraphrase, but he says, well, when I got to the Warriors and looked around, I figured, I'm not going to get many shots here. I might as well just work on my rebounding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry Smith, as you know, was a great, great rebounder. We called him Mr. Mean. That was his nickname uh, because of the way that he attacked the glass. And uh, one of the things I used to love to do was follow dunks. Um, a missed shot by a teammate, and I would follow and try to dunk it. But Larry Smith always beat me to it, so I gave up on that portion of my game. But I'll never forget uh, Larry Smith when he went against Maurice Lucas, an all-star, all-pro forward, uh, one night and got 25 rebounds. And then the very next night uh, against Kermit Washington, another all-star forward, he got another 25 rebounds. And wow. Larry Smith was just a great player. And he didn't look to score. We would get a rebound. He would look for myself or Whirl or, or Joe Barry Carroll, one of the other guys to score the points. Yeah, Kermit Washington, a great rebounder in his own right. And and uh, t- tell me a little bit about World Be Free. What was it like playing with him? What was it like the first time you suited up with him? Well, it was an honor for me to play with Whirl. Uh, the two of us are from Brooklyn, New York, and, and so that's our hometown, obviously. And to be able to play uh, with a guy from your hometown is always special and, and world came in as, as a player that was a dominant scorer and he had led them be scoring up with the clippers and when he arrived in golden state um, he assumed the role of being a scorer obviously but uh, more importantly uh, he just wanted to be one of the guys on the team and that would have fit and that was my personality as well and so he was well suited to, to playing for Al Lattles, uh and all of the guys respected him on, on, on our ball club. We certainly enjoyed him as a teammate. Uh, Bernard, you know, one of the things that when I talk to people about your career, it, you know, they always talk, and, and just looking at the old uh, stuff we can, we can see and remembering watching you play uh, 
as I was growing up is the fact that, that you were so good on that left side of the floor. Why, why were you so good and what made you, you know, work at that so well that you were basically at times, you were very difficult, if not unstoppable? Well, uh, that was a really key part of my, my game. I used to love to run the floor, and, and I was one of the quickest players in the league in terms of small forward position and doing just that. I'm a right-handed player. Uh, I'm a right-handed individual, and um, but I'm left-hand dominant when it comes to the basketball. <laughs> and so uh, a great deal of my moves uh, were predicated on the left-hand side of the floor uh, because that's where my strengths were. And uh, I guess I'm a, I'm a left brain dominant as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just saw the other day on NBA TV. Uh, God, it must have been a couple weeks ago now. Um, they played a, a uh, red on round ball, and it was you and I think, uh, I think it was, I think it was uh, Walker uh, from the Bullets at the time. And and Red was was you were talking to Red about how you wanted to get him to a certain spot on the floor. It was pretty inter- interesting stuff. Do you remember that? Uh, I do remember that, and, and one of the things I have to say about my, my style of play, I was a very analytical player. Um, I thought everything out. Um, 90% of what I did was planned. The other 10%, I don't know where it came from. Uh, but that was my take on the game. I had to study the game. I had to prepare it in a way uh, that the game would not come naturally to me, but all of the offensive moves and anything that I did was based on what I knew the defense would do. And to be a good scorer, you have to, as I've always said, understand defense. That's what scoring is all about. If you understand defense, then you can be very effective, whether it's on the low block in the open floor or also running the floor. And so, yes, I do remember that series in, in Red Arm Brown Ball, the great legendary Red Arm back of the Boston Celtics. It was an honor to be on there with him as well with my teammate, uh, Darren Walken, and I remember discussing uh, how you score in, in the low post, and that was just a very minute portion of uh, what you need to do to be a, a tremendous scorer down low. And before we go out and talk about the rest of your career, you, know, you go back to the 80-81 team, you guys didn't get to 500, but the team improved by 15 games, and you got comeback player of the year, and that was after well, we very... won't go into all of that, but uh, we, we had a tremendous roster. If you, if you talk about Ricky Brown, uh, Joe Barry Carroll, World Be Free, and if you remember Joe Hassett, you know, the great outside shooter. We had a tremendous point guard in, in, in John Lucas. Uh, Clifford Ray was an effective backup center to uh, Joe Barry Carroll, and obviously uh, Purvis Short. And, and, and Purvis, uh, you know, to his credit, uh, was a tremendous teammate of, of mine and, and ours uh, because he was a starting small forward uh, when I when I arrived and uh, then I assumed that role uh, after training camp and so I have a tremendous amount of respect for him for um, allowing that position to be uh, taken over by myself. Nobody better on the left side of the floor than Bernard King. And now on to one of his teammates, World B. Free, who was actually born in Atlanta, Georgia, but played his high school ball and grew up in Brooklyn. He played at Carnegie High School, and of course ended up with the Philadelphia 76ers to begin his pro career, and played with the Warriors from 1980 through 1983. World B. Free had one of the great shots in the history of the game, a tremendous high-arcing jump shot, and that's where we start. The conversation. Here it is. Here's Lloyd Free. Watch Kareem right in front of him. Right there. And Lloyd at 6'3 says, come on, 7-2. Kareem, I'm going to take it to you. How did you develop your shooting technique? Well, my shooting technique came from in the park in Brooklyn. Uh, 
jumping over like <laughs> little barrels to shoot my jump shot, putting a barrel in front of me and jumping up to try to get it, try to break that barrel <laughs> as far as the height was concerned and then shoot the basketball. Because I used to shoot set shots before, but I used to get it smashed on my forehead when I shot the set shots. So I said, I better start jumping with this shot and then give it a little rainbow. Because I watched a guy in high school, he was, a, he was a little guy, but he shot the ball over big men. And he shot the ball so high, but it came down, and I was like, oh, that's a beautiful shot. You know, so I, I try to put that with my shot and my jumping ability, rather. Who had the higher rainbow, World Be Free or Purvis Short? I think it was a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a tie, because Purvis could shoot that rainbow, though, and it's sweet when it went in, but uh, I think it was about a tie. What do, you, what do you remember about your stint as a Golden State Warrior? Well, I remember about my stint in the Golden State was uh, it was a – Starting to rebuild, um, the people were. It came from a championship, I guess, down to you know just everybody just being themselves, I guess, going one way or the other. But uh, having Bernard King um, aside me and Purvis Short and Joe Barry Carroll and Larry Smith, Mister Mean, uh, all these names, uh, it was it was it was amazing what was developed out there. Now, it's a different time, but can you imagine what a team like that, with that kind of firepower, could do today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's unbelievable because the fact that, you know, you had at every position someone could do something, you know, and do something different on the basketball court. And Bernard King, I thought, was one of the greatest that really was playing in this basketball game. What made him so special? I think his determination and just his preparation before the game. You know, i never seen a guy... You know, before he gets to the game smiling, hey, how y'all doing? How you doing? To, like, stone face, you know. And he put that same face on that basketball court when he comes to those lines. But a great individual, but a great player. Now tell me a little bit about uh, your thoughts on Al Adels. Al turned 70 years old this year. I tell you, Al Adels, when he first got me, it came down to New Jersey uh, when I was a free agent. And he gave me that hard voice. World, <laughs> are you going to practice and play work for what? <laughs> I'm looking at this man like, I don't want to get this guy upset. You know, so I'm like, yes, Mr. Adams. <laughs> Whatever you say is all right with me. Because I knew he was the destroyer, but he was a great, and he was a nice guy, nice man. You know, and he was a man that you wanted to play basketball for. Were you surprised that maybe that team that you were with didn't do better then? I was surprised, and the only reason why, then, I, as I look back at it, you know, it was a lot, of, a lot of. I guess we had so many different individuals on that basketball team, and we never really had. We had a lot of Indians, but no Chiefs. I hope you enjoyed those interviews as much as I did, because I could sit there and listen to Chris Mullen, Bernard King, and World Be Free talk round ball for hours at a time. I'm Tim Roy, and when we come back, the seven-game road trip continues tomorrow afternoon in Brooklyn. We'll look at the upcoming schedule. As we wrap up the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, the Brooklyn Edition. As we wrap up the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, the Brooklyn Edition on KBR 680, the sports leader. I don't believe it. I can't believe you're unbelievable. Unbelievable. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. We'll wrap up the show with a look at the upcoming broadcast. The Warriors cross the East River and hit the Barkley Center to meet one tough point guard in Darren Williams. The Nets going left to right on the left side. It's Joe Johnson. Gives to Darren Williams, left wing. 20-footer on the way. Good! And the first bucket in Brooklyn Nets history. A 20-footer from the left wing. 
for Darren Williams and the Nets a 2 nothing lead. Warriors and Nets tomorrow on KBR 680 starting at 4.15. And on to the nation's capital and a Saturday night tilt with the Wizards where they don't say no-no, they say nene. Out front, Ariza for three. That's no good. Rebound grabbed by Singleton in the paint. Left wing, Webster for three. That's no good. Nene grabs the ball. Another chance. Nene drives, going to the basket, over the shoulder, banks and scores with his left hand. Driving on the left side, and the Wizards take the lead, 70-69. Warriors and Wizards at 3.30 is our airtime on Saturday afternoon. Again, on KBR 680. And from the District of Columbia, the seven-game road trip will veer to the south. It actually ends up in North Carolina, where the Bobcats don't have a Kenny Skywalker or a Chet Walker or even an Antoine Walker. They have a Kemba Walker. Right side, here's Walker. Walker up top. Pull up three. That's good. Kemba Walker from the arc. Behind a pick by Haywood. And the Bobcats have recaptured the lead. 44-43 Charlotte. Warriors and Bobcats on a Monday night from Charlotte, 345 the airtime on KBR 680. And from Charlotte, we venture to the tropics where a wise basketball analyst once said, Mama, there goes that man. Now down to the post and Ane under the basket, stolen by LeBron. So James back with it for Miami. James stepped through to Ray Allen. Allen stepped back, three on the way, off the rim, once, twice, tipped up. UD can't get it, but there's LeBron to put it in. The Warriors take on LeBron, James, Dwayne Wade, and the defending champion Miami Heat Wednesday at 4.15 on KMBR 680. And then next Thursday night from Orlando, it's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable again, 8 o'clock with our start time. Now, don't forget the Warriors will be coming home after the seven-game road trip. For ticket information, you can save at warriors.com slash dynamic or call one gsw hoop I'd like to thank all of our guests tonight, including head coach Mark Jackson, Bernard King, Chris Mullen, and World Be Free. My producer is R.C. Davis, Dave Feldhouse at the controls, and right now Ray Woodson is ready, willing, and able to take your calls and comments at 808-CAM-BR on Sports Phone 680. Now the Warriors and the Nets tomorrow night, 4.15, the pregame show right here. Tonight, Tim Roy. Thanks for listening to the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. And now it's Ray Woodson to the mic on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. It's a four-on-three. The trailer's Curry right side. Fires away. Three ball. Curry. For tickets, go to Warriors.com or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.